It is episode number 426, and today I chat with Paul Shapiro. Let me cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thank you for joining me. A couple of weeks back, I brought you an interview with Ben O'Brien. He was fresh off the Joe Rogan podcast, and we talked about hunting. And I wanted to get to the bottom of food and our disassociation of where food comes from. And the idea at the moment that we use these proxy executioners like abattoirs to kill the food for us, often in quite inhumane circumstances, and then get the food you know, prepare it in cellophane packages, plastic-wrapped, treated, dyed, preservatives, leave it on the counter in our supermarket. And that association between that wild animal running around in nature and that food we see on the shelf, it's so far removed. So I had Ben O'Brien on the show talking about hunting and really trying to get us, you know, store that connection and awaken that connection between food and where food comes from. And I got such an amazing response to that podcast So today's guest is along that same vein. I'm going to bring to the podcast in just one moment, Paul Shapiro. And Paul has, Paul's concept is crazy. It's like something out of, you know, back to the future. If, you know, going off mad uh, many moons from now into the distance. It is about cultivating meat and creating meat, which is identical in structure macronutrients vitamin composition mineral composition to actual meat without being meat it's meat that's made in a lab effectively and they're calling it cultivated meat and the company which paul is involved in is called a better meat co and we get into all that but it's a really thought-provoking conversation and i came away from the conversation thinking that maybe this is an imperfect solution but if cultivated meat has the ability to replace or reduce the cruelty we see around industrial factory produced meat at the moment it'll be one of the greatest evolutionary steps we've taken in the food chain probably post-industrial revolution a really fascinating chat and again as i prefaced the uh, the ben o'brien podcast there's nothing i can think more central to our journey into health happiness and longevity than food as a fuel, food as a social tool to connect us to our family members and food to nourish the mind, the body and the soul. So I am really happy to bring you another kind of a curveball this week on food and where food comes from and how you can think about it and maybe what the future of food looks like. Before I dive in and welcome Paul to the podcast, let me give Patreon a quick plug because patreon is how we fund this whole thing patreon is how we keep the show on the road and if you work it out it's less than 25 cents per episode to get the roadman cycling podcast it's a price of a pint of beer once a month five euro once a month and that keeps the show on the road it's totally community funded up to this point we may take sponsors on down the road but we definitely will never forget patreon it is the heartbeat of the roadman community so you can support the podcast if you don't currently already takes two seconds to do it's almost frictionless checkout go over to patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore walsh and you'll be charged the price of a pint of beer. Okay, Roadman, I think you're going to enjoy this 
conversation where I try to push Paul and I challenge Paul and I come to my own conclusion and I'm sure you will come to your own conclusion in the course of this podcast. Welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, Paul Shapiro. Anthony, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Paul, I'm really excited to dig into this topic. It is super cool. It's like something from outer space, but I also definitely do have concerns about it. So I do want to try and push you and challenge you to give, you know, the users the full picture of what's going on. So I suppose the best place to start is why would anyone want to try and grow animal meat outside of an animal? All right. Well, first of all, Anthony, let me say push away. I don't mind it. I, I love the debate, so I'm ready to have it with you. Uh, second, so the world's not getting any bigger. Uh, humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself is not getting any bigger. And one of the primary ways that we leave that footprint is through our food print, principally in the amount of meat that we eat. It just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and more to raise and slaughter billions and billions of animals for food. Now, I, I would love it if people were happy to eat rice and beans and lentil soup and hummus. I love those foods myself. I'd be thrilled if more people wanted to eat fewer animals and more plants. Um, but it seems like people really like eating meat. Uh, meat demand is going up, not down. It's going up on a per person basis and there are more humans on the planet. As a result, we are going to have to find some way to sustainably satiate humanity's meat tooth that doesn't destroy the planet. And so if we are not willing to shift toward a more plant-based diet, we have to find some way to recreate the meat experience. It's kind of Anthony, like, you know, I wish more people would walk and bike, but people seem to really like to drive. And so you got to create cars that don't rely on fossil fuels. Well, you know, it would be awesome if people wanted to walk and drive, but they don't really seem to be keen on doing that. So let's figure out ways that we can make cars that don't run on fossil fuels, make meat that doesn't rely on animals, and we can continue enjoying the things that we like doing just with a much smaller footprint on the planet. But I suppose my problem is, uh, and some context to it, my background, it's law, but before law, I was an economics undergrad. And uh, One of the things in central to economics is this idea of externalities. When we create something, what's the unintended byproduct of this? So as you rightly identify with the idea of, you know, it'd be great if everyone biked and ran, but we should try and get people into electric cars. Well, the externality is we have an obesity crisis what's the externality of moving away from eating animals? Yeah, well, first of all, I totally agree with you, but I will say the obesity crisis is not, of course, caused by electric cars. It's it's for, for you know, sedentary living and horrible uh, diet and so on. But before I answer your question, because I want to answer it directly, I do want to say, let's just briefly consider the externality of how we currently produce meat because raising animals for food is the number one cause of deforestation on the planet. Yeah. It's the number one cause of wildlife extinction. It's the number one cause of animal cruelty. It's a major risk factor in producing pandemics. It is uh, clearly a problem from a public health perspective because we know that eating a diet high in meat is associated with increased risk of cancer, heart disease, type two diabetes, and more. So the externalities associated with producing billions of animals for food are absolutely extraordinary. Now, what are the externalities of creating meat without animals? Because I agree with you, there are some, one of which is an economic concern that you have a lot of people right now who are in the business of slaughtering animals, transporting animals around, of building the cages that confine all these animals. And, uh, you know, 
in this type of a world where we can produce meat without animals, those jobs don't really uh, exist anymore. It's kind of like how when we started streaming, we didn't need video stores anymore, right? And so all of these people who were working at video stores lost their jobs. Uh, the people who manufactured whips were no longer really needed so many whips when we stopped using horses for our transportation. Uh, and the list goes on and on. You know, the people who made the negatives for film, obviously, when digital ascended, uh, we didn't need so many dark rooms and negatives and, and all the chemicals used to print film out. So there is a creative destruction aspect to what or what I'm advocating here, which is to move away from exploiting animals for food. Um, but you have to acknowledge, and I do acknowledge, that there would be real changes in the economy as a result of this. I'm trying to get out even with the externalities. Maybe I didn't f phrase it well to kind of maybe go a little bit deeper and unpack it a bit more. The externalities as to eating in that type of manner, what are the, the health implications wow. of that movement across to that? Yeah, well, there there's a few ways to think about it. So first, let's consider uh, conventional animal meat that comes from slaughtered animals. Like you right now, you have to treat it like toxic waste, right? Like if you put that in your supermarket basket, you're supposed to segregate your other groceries from it. If it, you're supposed to put it in different bags, if you have raw meat, comes home, you put it on your kitchen counter, you have to disinfect your kitchen counter. If you touch it, you need to wash your hands. You don't have to do that with plants, obviously, uh, because uh, meat, raw meat has intestinal pathogens. It has fecal pathogens on it. E. coli, salmonella, campylobacter. These are intestinal pathogens that can sicken us if we don't cook the crap out of the meat, literally. You're literally cooking the crap out of the meat. But when you're growing meat without animals, you don't have to worry as much about intestinal pathogens because you're not growing intestines at all. You're growing muscle and fat, which is what we really want in meat, and you're not growing the intestines. And so you're actually more likely to infect the meat with your hands than the meat is to infect you. Now, the, the evidence is very clear that humanity can now recreate meat without slaughter. The question would be, can we make it different and better? And then you start getting into questions about whether there would be the type of externalities that you're alluding to here, Anthony. So as an example, what if you could make a hamburger that instead of having a lot of saturated fat, had a lot of omega-3 fatty acids? Theoretically, we would think then, well, this burger no longer causes heart attacks, but in fact helps to prevent them because we, you know, we know saturated fat is linked to heart disease and we know omega-3 fatty acids are linked with the reduced risk of heart disease. So that's what we would theoretically think. But we don't know. I mean, nobody's produced that hamburger and we don't know. So it has to be subjected to a battery of safety tests. This is one reason why no country on the planet, with the exception of Singapore, has yet authorized the sale of these type of clean meat products of, of real meat grown without animals. And so Singapore a year ago became the first country to approve it, but nowhere else on the planet has approved the sale of these yet. And that's because the uh, food agencies, the food safety agencies of all these countries have extremely rigorous safety testing that these companies have to do before they can be allowed to come out on the market. But it would seem to me that our, our choice isn't binary. Our choice isn't betw <clears throat> between the current you know, and I love innovation and this isn't to try and stifle innovation. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing and the other market leaders in this area. It's brilliant. But I'm just wondering, is it the right focus for the innovation? The animal processing at the moment, you know, it's shocking from animal welfare to the amount of antibiotics going into it to greenhouse gas emissions. There's massive problems there, but it's not a two horse race. We don't have to choose between the current food manufacturing system and going completely 
potentially over-engineering the problem and trying to recreate meat, we can move to more sustainable food practices. Maybe the innovation, do you think, should be more focused around traditional supply lines and trying to innovate to reduce the impact on the planet of current food eating habits? That would be fantastic. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. I'm I'm all for making agriculture better uh, from an environmental and an animal welfare perspective. Uh, such a system, though, would by necessity mean that we would be eating a lot less meat. So right now, humanity is eating more meat than it has ever eaten in all of human history. And the way that we accomplish that is by subjecting tens of billions of animals to overcrowded, unsanitary, and inhumane conditions. Uh, most people don't want to hear how animals are raised for food, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But suffice it to say that if these were dogs and cats, uh, there would be criminal animal cruelty charges. But yeah, it's pretty graphic. Yeah, and because they are chickens and pigs who suffer just as much as cats and dogs do, uh, we look the other way. And we don't want to hear about it because it makes us too uncomfortable. So if we were to have a more sustainable system that involved giving the animals better living conditions, by necessity, we would have to eat fewer of them. And that would be great. Uh, I, I'd be thrilled. It, it would be wonderful. I mean, look, if, if clean meat becomes unnecessary because people ate few, less anim uh, fewer animals and less meat, I think that would be a, a, a really a fantastic advancement for humanity. I, what I have seen, though, is that it's going in the other direction, that in China, in India, in Brazil, in Mexico, even in the United States and in most of Europe, per capita meat demand is increasing, not decreasing. And so there's there's got to be something that gives, whether it's uh, making the, the systems more extensive for animals or just, uh, you know, satiating meat demand without animals. I'm, I'm conflicted when I think about this because on the one hand, the meat practices aren't sustainable at the moment. And as you're talking about, populations are growing. And how do we get affordable meat in a you know efficient way into these growing economies, especially African economies, uh, Asian economies? But on the other hand, I get to chat with health experts, you know, almost every day of the week on the podcast some of the best authors academics in the world and the common thread that links health happiness and longevity in my experience from chatting to these guys it's often simplicity not complexity it's bringing stuff back to living more ancestrally and i'm thinking about a recent conversation i had with ben o'brien who's a famed hunter and he was just recently on joe rogan's podcast and he explained to me the difference between eating raw elk that's hunted in the wild versus eating factory farmed animals he said like you can say a factory farmed you know we'll take it we'll stay with the elk example say you they're not really factory farmed so much but say you have a factory farmed elk versus a wild hunted elk the chemical compositions vitamins minerals they look fine under a microscope they probably look identical he said it's like the difference between comparing lebron james to a fat gamer he's like they're not the same so that's my worry that we can't quantify a lot of this stuff that, yeah. you know, are, are we moving or is it a devolution towards manufacturing meat from LeBron James to the fat gamer to, you know, whatever comes after the fat gamer? Yeah, yeah, that's good. No, I, I like that. I hope I'll go listen to that interview. So uh, first, let me just say, uh, you know, it's quite possible that you know, there would be some minor differences at the same time. Uh, if you're talking about wanting to live more ancestrally, if you're talking about wanting to live more naturally, I'm just going to give one example just to illustrate it. 
Nearly all of the chickens we raise for food today have been genetically selected to grow enormous very quickly. So they grow so big, so fast that they can't even take more than a few steps before they collapse underneath their own weight. We confine them by the tens of thousands inside of windowless warehouses where they live on top of their own feces. They never see the light of day until they're on the back of a slaughter bound truck. And then from there, we don't want to hear what happens next. And so oftentimes when people bring this up, they'll, you know, they want to justify the status quo um, by saying, well, you could go out and hunt elk. Well, you know, if you go out and hunt elk, I agree. That's way better than what is currently being done. But let's just keep in mind, virtually every person listening to this is eating chicken that came from those conditions and they're not natural they're not ancestral these birds are nothing compared they're nothing at all like the birds from whom they were domesticated thousands of years ago uh they really are prisoners in their own body i mean these birds are bred to suffer they grow so fast they can't even stand up and walk for uh more than a few steps and so that's how meat is produced today uh, there's not enough elk to satiate 8 billion humans going out and hunting them, uh, but we're producing billions and billions and billions of chickens for this purpose. And so I agree, hunting elk is dramatically better than going to the supermarket and buying a factory farmed chicken. Um, but that's not really the option for most people. Most people are going to go to the supermarket and buy food. And the question is, what can they buy? And the current system that produces 99% of meat that is consumed today there's no resemblance to anything natural, normal, humane, sustainable, or healthy. But I know after chatting with Ben O'Brien, I had this like mind shift moment to say, okay, actually, I don't need to play inside the confines of the factory farming system. I can go to a local butcher and talk to him about, oh, can you source me wild meat? And since then, like, I, I would definitely agree with ben's uh, analogy of lebron versus the fat gamer when you eat something that's wild whether it's a you know i'm lucky enough living in ireland we're on the sea and you can you know an abundance of wild uh, fish straight off the boat we can buy when you eat that food this is an animal that has struggled to survive it's endured difficult conditions it's endured predators and that's built and encoded into its dna and when we eat it we get a piece of that dna and so I'm wondering when I see this, and I think it's an amazing technological advancement, but in my head, it's almost serving two purposes, and correct me if I'm wrong, to maybe for me as somebody who's lucky enough to be in a Western country, which is quite affluent, and I do have access to the wild fish, the wild caught meat, is it for me to A, cut down on my red meat consumption so it becomes a supplement in the way that i might look at a protein powder as a supplement when my protein rda uh, recommended daily allowance isn't being met and then b is it a alternative to try and get meat into countries that aren't as affluent those are very good points and i'd say that if the alternative meats the animal free meats only end up replacing factory farmed meat and you still have all these other options that you're referring to, I would consider it among the greatest advancements of humanity's yeah. entire entire history. Like future generations are gonna be repulsed by what we did to animals when they look back and they see how the tortures that we inflicted on animals, that we locked them up in cages, we cut off their genitals without painkiller, we inflict third degree burns on them, we burn off their beaks, we do all those horrible things to them to raise them for food. And I'm not talking about you know exceptions to the rule, I'm talking about standard meat industry practices. And future generations are going to look back in horror on that. And, yeah, and I, agree. I believe that 
in, in the same way that, you know, we are so grateful that we don't have to light our homes with whale oil anymore because, you know, we used to slaughter a lot of whales for whale oil and that's how we lit our homes. Then kerosene was invented and it rendered whaling obsolete because kerosene was a cheaper, more efficient way to light our homes. And in the same way that we look back on whaling as a regrettable chapter of humanity's past, I think that in the future, because of these types of technologies, that we are going to look back on factory farming of animals as a regrettable chapter of humanity's past as well. It doesn't mean that nobody will be able to eat meat from a slaughtered animal, um, but it does mean that if we could replace what is currently, again, virtually all meat, 99% of meat that is produced via factory farming, at least in the industrialized world, um, then what a great advancement that would be. So the, the purpose of, of making meat without animals is not to try to replace the local butcher or the hunter. The purpose of it is to replace the meat that is being sold in fast food restaurants, big box grocery stores, and that is comprising nearly all meat that's sold today. But isn't so much of you talk about those deplorable conditions in the factory farming and when i think about it chickens spring to mind straight away in the chicken coops with just crazy overcrowding but isn't so much of its consumption based on we have a broken attachment from where food comes from we have almost no connection between the chicken fillet burger that we have for dinner and where that chicken fillet burger came from because we're using this proxy executioner yeah, that's I, I couldn't possibly agree with you more, Anthony. Um, you know, if people did what you are prescribing right now, I'd be thrilled, which would mean eating far less meat, but eating meat from animals who are much better treated. I think that would be a wonderful advancement. And Crazy it, expensive, it might... though, is the problem with it. Because uh, like I bought the elk. Now, it's yeah. enough elk for five people, but you're looking at over here almost 60 euro. And now if I had bought the factory farmed alternative, probably a quarter of that price, if not cheaper. Yeah, so I, I don't know what elk costs per pound, but I'll, I'll just tell you in the United States, uh, so I'm talking US dollars and pounds here, not euros and kilos. So in the United States, uh, ground, ground meat chicken, like the chicken that goes into chicken nuggets, costs about $1 per pound. Wholesale beef uh, on a ground beef basis, maybe about $3 a pound. Then when you start getting into like organic grass-fed beef, you're about eight or $10 a pound, depending. And if you get into organic grass-fed bison, it's even more than that. And so, you know, compared to the cheapest meat, which is like ground chicken, you have a more than 10x cost increase, not not 10% more, but 10 times more. And so by necessity at that point, that means people were eating less meat because they're buying, you know, it's just, you know, who's going to be willing to eat as much meat when it costs literally 10 times more. Um, so that's the, excuse me, and I'm talking about wholesale prices here, not retail. Um, but the the purpose is that, if you want to move to a system like what you're advocating, where animals are better treated by necessity, it means eating fewer animals by necessity. And that's great. That's that's a wonderful trade-off. We eat way more meat than we need to. It will be a wonderful thing for public health alone just to do that, let alone animal welfare and climate and so on. So if we take... Uh, uh what, what, what Just to make sure I get the term right, is it you call it genetically engineered or what are we calling the meat? Uh, it's not genetically engineered, so there's no genetic engineering associated with it, but oftentimes it's called clean meat uh, or some an allusion to clean energy, uh, or sometimes it's called cultivated meat as well. Okay, so if the cultivated meat, if we take a you know, typical 100-gram steak, vitamin mineral composition of that steak compared to a traditional steak, is it identical? 
Yes, so you, you, you could have the luxury of making it identical or even superior. And I'll give you an example. It's a little bit of, 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 a, of a left turn here. But so, you know, I, I run a company, it's called The Better Meat Co. And we make meat alternatives for microbial fermentation. So we're not using actual animal cells. We use microbes. And we run a type of fermentation that creates things that really look like steak. Um, but they're not made from animal cells, so it's different from what we've been talking about. But when we're using microbial fermentation, the what we call mycoprotein that we produce is actually higher in iron than beef. It's higher in protein than eggs. It is a complete protein, and it has no saturated fat, no cholesterol. I mean, it's really like a real superfood. And that's not even using the type of technologies that we were just talking about where you're growing actual animal cells. Here, we're just doing microbial fermentation. Um, so that's you know not that dissimilar to brewing beer or wine, which are also products of microbial fermentation. So there are lots of ways that you can recreate the meat experience, just like there's lots of ways to create energy without fossil fuels. You've got wind, solar, geothermal, and more. Well, you know, you can use animal cell culture, you can use microbial fermentation, you can do plant based as well and take things like peas or wheat and, uh, and uh, turn them into things that look like a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger and so on. So there's lots of ways to try to get at this problem of making meat experiences without animals. And if you don't want ones that are made from actual animal cells, there's other, there's other options too. So my, my reluctance or my hesitancy too would be in terms of like if you take a vitamin c tablet sure it has the vitamin c in it but it's not the same as having an orange you know there's thousands of chemical yes. reactions going on in orange that we know about there's also hundreds of thousands of chemicals or reactions going on when you eat an orange that we're not sure about yet so we have stuff yeah. we know and we have stuff we don't even know we don't know and yes. that's what i just wonder when we looked at recreate something how much of its true essence are we losing and i suppose we don't know the answer to that yeah, well, first, let me just affirm what you're saying, because I'm a big Whole Foods fan. I buy Whole Foods Little, you know, not the, not the brown. Stores fine, too. <laughs> yeah, and stores fine, too. I don't have any problem with the store. I just mean, I mean, I really am in favor of eating Whole Foods. And so, you know, the difference between eating an orange and eating uh, a vitamin C pill, of course, is, is dramatic. And for the reasons that you noted, like, you know, we have to be humble and admit that we just don't know everything. Like, you know, we don't know what all, what all the interactions between all the phytochemicals are doing inside of an orange that are quite, but we know that eating a diet that's high in fruits and vegetables tends to be good for our health. So uh, I'm totally with you on that. I will say the difference is that it's not like uh, these type of technologies are isolating a nutrient. They are creating real foods. Uh, just like going back to microbial fermentation, these are creating whole foods. Just in the same way that if you, you know, if you consume, let's say, beer or wine, these aren't isolating any nutrients. It's just a, they've created from microbial fermentation plus grapes or, or wheat or in the case of wine and beer, respectively, you get this product. What we do at the Better Meat Co., for example, is we take pr products like potatoes and corn and we subject them to a microbial fermentation, which means that we take a specific microorganism that's all natural, found in nature, and we feed it to them. And in the same way that a cow, let's say, you know, you feed a cow, let's say corn or soy or grass, inside the cow, there's a fermentation that occurs, and then you get a steak. But it takes a long time, like, you know, two years almost to get a steak from that fermentation process inside of the cow's body. What we do is we feed similar ingredients like corn or potatoes to microorganisms who have a fermentation that occurs and they eat it 
and they become something that's like a steak. It's not like we're isolating a protein or a vitamin and putting it in. It is really a whole food that we're creating. We just create it through fermentation rather than inside of an animal's body. That's interesting. And on a, to circle away from the techie stuff, how, how do they taste? If you like meat, you will like these because they really uh, do a great job. So uh, I, I joke that it, it's kind of like saying, hey, you know, what's it like to drive a hybrid car or what's it like to drive an electric car? Well, you know, it's like driving a car. If you like driving a car, you'll like this. So the same is so here. Um, you know, the goal is for you not to notice. So when you walk into a room and you flick on a light switch, you're not thinking, oh, is this light coming from coal or oil or wind or solar? Like you just want light. You just want an illuminated room. And as long as the light is the same, frankly, you probably don't really think about it or care that much. The same is so here. What we want is when I mean, most people, when they eat meat, they're not thinking, ah, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered. They don't think about that. They just like the experience of eating it. They like the way it tastes, like the way it makes them feel. The same is so here. Like we are creating meat experiences that you shouldn't even have to think about, that you will just enjoy it because it's satiating, it's delicious, it's good for you. And that's the goal is to enable us to eat, frankly, all the meat that we want, but without having to torment animals and destroy the planet in the process. And how much is the regulatory framework going to be important in this because i'm thinking with this ability to create meat that's you know almost indistinguishable in taste from real meat you run the risk of some bad actor in bad yeah. companies slipping in and making these products you know all the nasty things we know that makes food addictive and make us overeat certain types of food yeah i i, I worry about this actually so it, it kind of um it reminds me a little bit of what happened in the 19th century with ice. So, you know, we used to have this massive natural ice industry where people harvested big bricks of ice out of lakes, frozen lakes and rivers, and they put them on insulated boats and they shipped it all around the world. So people could have ice in regions that never got cold, basically. And when the advent of refrigeration occurred, the ice barons of that era were livid. They railed against what they called artificial ice. And they warned you this was unnatural. It could sicken you. It went against God. You know, for thousands of years, the only way we had to get ice was out of nature. And now human technology was creating ice. Um, it was made out of the same stuff, water, obviously, just like this is made out of the same stuff in, in the case of animal cells. Like meat is made up of animal cells, and that's what this is. Um, but uh, it created this uh, problem because there were a lot of people who wanted to avoid what was being called artificial ice. Uh, now, of course, we all have artificial ice makers in our homes. We call them freezers. We don't think there's anything unnatural about them at all. In fact, most of us would probably never consider living without one. And I think that you are going to have something similar where there will be this distinction between different kinds of meat in the near term. But in the long term, it may just come to be known as meat. It, because that's what it is. It may just come to be known. They're not going to be calling it cultivated meat or whatever. It's just going to be meat. Um, and so it, it's kind of like, you know, if you look at uh, when the car first came out, they didn't call it a car. They called it a horseless carriage. You know, the only way we had to really get around was on horses before. And then we had horseless carriages. And then we invented a new name, cars, for it. And that, I think, is, is will probably end up what happens here. And so you do, like, run the risk of maybe it's hard to tell at some point. There's some point during that transition where you don't really know whether it's meat from a slaughtered animal or a meat that has been grown. Because I and, suppose you uh, think about like what's one of the drawbacks of buying meat at the moment. I get my groceries, you know, delivered once a week. 
the you know butchers comes once a week as well and on, maybe i get an impromptu invite out to dinner one of the nights and now all of a sudden there's a little bit extra meat left in the fridge at the end of the week and now you're looking at sell-by dates the temptation here is to engineer into this some way that the meat doesn't spoil like other meat yeah. and then what starts happening so it, this is where i think the yeah. regulatory framework around this needs to be quite clear because do we need an ingredient not- list on it to say well this is meat plus bum 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 yeah well it sounds anthony like you might need a dog because if you had a dog you could satisfy <laughs> that problem of having extra meat very easily actually <laughs> uh, and tell me this uh, to finish up what do you see our relationship with food being if we fast forward a hundred years how do you see this fitting into the whole ecosystem of where food is at the moment well, so I don't want to, I'm going to answer your question. I don't want to make a prediction because I'm very bad at that, but I want to offer two different paths that we might go on. So one of them uh, could be going down the current road, which is continuing to increase the number of animals who are raising and slaughtering for food. And we deforest the rest of the planet. We have runaway climate change and which is truly civilizationally threatening. Uh, I, I just want to stress you know, animal agriculture is a leading contributor to climate change. It's, you know, again, the number one cause of deforestation. So if we continue down the current path and we say, hey, look, we've been slaughtering animals for thousands of years, we got to keep slaughtering animals. That's the path that we're going to have. If we keep increasing the number of animals we're raising, there's no way to maintain any type of uh, semblance of trying to withhold the rising temperatures to the 1.5 degrees Celsius that experts warn that we need to do in order to avert the worst effects of climate change. Or if we don't want to go down that path, if we want to go down a more humane and sustainable path, what we could do is have a far more diverse definition of protein. So rather than right now, people essentially associate the word protein with you know a hunk of flesh from a slaughtered animal's body, we could instead think of protein as coming from lots of sources. So you can get protein, yes, from animals, but also from plants. You can get protein from microbes. You can get protein from animal cell culture and a whole diverse array and a far more interesting protein portfolio where people are diversifying their diets instead of saying, hey, my protein is basically coming from these few species, essentially pigs, chickens, and cows, we could have lots of interesting culinary experiences. It's kind of like if you think about the time after humans had domesticated cows, so people were drinking milk, but before anybody realized how to make milk curdle, and so nobody had fantasized about cheese. Nobody knew about cheese. Nobody had ever contemplated cheese. Nobody knew about Gouda or Brie or uh, Swiss or American or whatever, right? Like it was just milk. Then somebody figured out how do you make milk curdle and you get cheese. And now there's a whole new array of dietary and culinary delights that awaited humanity that nobody had fantasized about. And I wonder what will a more diverse definition of protein do for us when we can divorce protein from animal slaughter and open up a whole new array of culinary experiences that people have never even dreamt about. And that's a type of future that I would strongly prefer. Paul, it's a fascinating area. I'm really excited to see how it plays out over the next 10 to 20 years. Maybe I'll be going in and ordering my cultivated filet mignon soon in the restaurants. Who knows? Uh, Anthony, first of all, I hope so. Second, if you do that, I would love to be there for it and we can dine together. (laughs) Third, if we aren't together, promise me you'll email me a photo of this because I would love to see Paul, thank you for joining me on the Roadman Podcast. It's really my honor. Thanks, Anthony. Cheers, buddy. 
Roadmen, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm asked all the time how listeners can support the podcast. Well, there's a number of ways you can support the podcast. As I mentioned at the outset, Patreon is an easy way to support it. But if you don't feel like subscribing on Patreon or you can't afford to subscribe on Patreon, a really easy way to support the podcast is simply sharing it with a friend. Take the episode link and sharing it into WhatsApp groups, into club Facebook groups, and just helping to spread the roadman word you can follow me and you can find me over on instagram our handle on instagram it's roadman.cycling or we have a new tiktok account where we're taking extracts from the podcast and posting them over there on roadman cycling podcast is the handle there really for all things roadman cycling the mission control is our main website which is newly launched and that's on roadmancycling.com you can also leave us a review on apple podcast they make such a huge difference or if you're not on apple you can leave the review anywhere where you listen to the podcast Roadmen, have a great day and ride safe.